So Genesis chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 10. And I'm reading from the Living Bible Translation. And it says, The serpent was the craftiest of all the creatures the Lord God had made. So the serpent came to the woman. Really, he asked, none of the fruit in the garden? God says you mustn't eat any of it? Of course we may eat it, the woman told him. It's only the fruit from the tree at the center of the garden that we are not to eat. God says we mustn't eat it or even touch it or we'll die. That's a lie, the serpent hissed. You will not die. God knows very well that the instant you eat it, you will become like him, for your eyes will be opened. You will be able to, dis to distinguish good from evil. The woman was convinced how lovely and fresh looking it was, and it would make her so wise. So she ate some of the fruit and gave some to her husband, and he ate it too. And as they ate it, suddenly they became aware of their nakedness and were embarrassed. So they strung fig leaves together to cover themselves around the hips. That evening they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden, and they hid themselves among the trees. The Lord God called to Adam, Where are you hiding? And Adam replied, I heard you coming and didn't want you to see me naked, so I hid. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten fruit? from the tree I warned you about. And from this, tonight I want to talk about where are you? Where are you? And before I get into kind of a, a couple other nuggets here, there's some things that I had a few questions on. Number one, where did the serpent get his information? Where did he get his information? When he came to Eve and told her these these things where did he get his information was it accurate number two where did Eve get that they couldn't touch the tree we read when God told Adam about the tree he only said not to eat it he didn't say anything about touch so we got information from the serpent and then we have additional information from Eve and then number three, how did Eve come to her conclusions in verse number six? The fact that she looked at the tree and saw that it was good for food. How does she know that it was good for food? How does she know it wasn't poisonous? How does she know it wouldn't make her sick? It was pleasant to the eyes. This had to probably let me know that there were some things in the garden, as beautiful as it was, that probably weren't pleasant. For, for there to be a pleasant, there has to be some ugly things. Mm. And how does she know that the fruit would give her... These are the things that she reasoned within herself. This tree is, number one, it's good for food. Number two, it, it's pleasing to my eyes. It does something for me in the physical realm of my flesh that I like. It appeases my flesh. Number three, how, how do I know that this thing is going to give me wisdom? Is this serpent really telling me the truth? 
Did he give me accurate information? Now I submit that to these questions, number one, the serpent got his information from God. See, sometimes we don't realize, and I, I just did a, a, a lesson on end time prophecy and how in, I believe it's chapter 13 of the book of Revelation is when Lucifer is going to be kicked out of heaven. Somebody says well, he's already been kicked out of heaven. No, he has not been kicked out of heaven. He's been, his position has been taken away, but he has not been kicked out of heaven. If he had been kicked out of heaven, how could he, in the book of Job, when the Bible says that the sons of God came and present themselves to God, the Bible says, and Satan came also. That means he still has access to the throne. The Bible tells me that the devil is the accuser of the brethren. That means that he goes to God before God's throne, the throne that we're supposed to approach boldly, he goes to also and accuses us before God and then comes down here and accuses God before us. So he still has that access. He doesn't have his position, but he still has the access. But there's coming a day when, when we're going to deal with the wrath of the dragon, when he's kicked out of heaven and no longer has access to the throne, and that's when the, the, the woes are going to be poured out, the vials that are going to be poured out in the great tribulation, that is after Satan is completely kicked out of the heavenly realm. Number two, Eve must have added to God's instructions. When she says, well, yeah, we, we can't eat of it, and we, we can't even touch it. Now, it's probably a good thing not to touch it, but don't add to what God said. So now we have things to where we put even further instructions on our own selves. We bring it to 2015, and we have all of these rules and regulations that, that you ask them, well, where in the Bible does it say that? I, I, I can't do that. Well, it doesn't really say that, but, you, you know, no, no, we, we, we can't add to it. You can say, well, my preference is A, B, C, or D, but we cannot quote a scripture and then add, tack on our little mm -hmm. amendment at the end and, and have people thinking, oh, this is what the Bible says. Mm -hmm. That's very dangerous. And number three, Eve's conclusion came from the serpent. She reasoned that what the serpent told her was true. She had to make a choice as to who she would believe, God or the serpent. And then lastly, there is a difference in the vision from verse number 6 to verse number 7. Adam and Eve clearly had vision in verse 6, but did not even see their own nakedness. What kind of vision did they have? But it didn't matter that they were naked in verse 6. But when after they partake of the forbidden fruit, all of a sudden, their vision changes. So he, he has to come to them. Where are you? I'd like to stop right there before I get into influence and just kind of ask God to open up our hearts tonight and allow his word to speak to us. Let's bow our heads. Father God, in Jesus' name, Lord, we're grateful. We're thankful for your word. We're thankful for this day. We're thankful for the time that we've set aside to observe and to dig into your word. We pray, oh God, that you would open our minds, our spirits, our hearts to receive a word from you. Lord, we ask, O oh God, that you would give us a spirit of repentance and a spirit of openness, a spirit of boldness to come to you, O oh God. 
And whatever mindset that we find ourselves in, we know that you are our creator, you are our sustainer. We plead your mercy, your grace. We plead your blood tonight in the name of Jesus. Lord, let every lie be made manifest. Let your truth shine through darkness in the name of Jesus. Give us light down in our souls and in our spirits that we might be able to follow you clearly in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the bottom line to all of this is influence. Influence. We read through this chapter 3 and, and it's full of influence. Our actions are birthed out of influence. <coughs> the battle is in determining what influences are beneficial and which ones are detrimental. We were in a constant state of deciding which influences will we follow. When influences change or new ones are introduced, it calls for either a change in our action or it calls for new action. We can never underestimate the power of our speech. All of the influence in just these few verses that we read, it's all powered by speech. Mm -hmm. And God said, and the serpent said, mm -hmm. and the woman said, <coughs> and Adam said. We got all of this influence going on. Don't think that the words were empty. I remember learning from Bishop Robert Young that the Hebrew language, the, the language that the Bible says that one day God's going to restore as the universal language. It, it, it's an intelligent language to where not only every word has a meaning, but every letter of the Hebrew alphabet has its own meaning. That's why if you ever read through the, through the 119th Psalm, it's divided by eight verses. Eight being the number of beginnings, and then you go to the next Olivet. Each letter gets its own eight verses of, tr of, of a tribute and celebration to God's word. Mm -hmm. But speech, let's look at 2 Corinthians 5 and 11. Spina taught on faith earlier. We do know that faith comes by hearing. Mm -hmm. and hearing by the word of God. So we can't be, claim to be rich in faith if our mouths are shut. 2 Corinthians 5.11 It says, Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord. He says, We try to persuade men. What we are is plain to God and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. So this persuasion that Paul says, the King James says, Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. How do we persuade them? We try to influence them to come to a God consciousness through the way we present Christ with our mouths. See, some have gotten to the place where it no longer matters how I present Christ with my mouth. I can say any old thing. I don't think I'm going to be held responsible for how I present Christ and even myself to others. But the Bible says that it really does matter. And in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33... He talks about the negative side of speech. And we see in, in chapter 3 that we just read of Genesis, there was good persuasion on God's part. Don't eat of the tree in the midst. You have access to an entire garden. Just one that you can't partake of. Then we have the, 
the devil come along. And here we find him in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33. Do not be misled. Don't be deceived. Bad company corrupts good character. The King James Version of that says, evil communications. Who are you talking to? Who are you talking to? You don't have the freedom to have conversation with any and all and everybody. You don't. You may not realize that in the midst of the conversation, but just like a mustard seed, seeds are planted in conversation. Mm -hmm. And it may not manifest during that conversation, but that thing can come back and grow into something that you didn't think you planted. This is why Paul says we must be slow to speak, swift to hear. A wise old person said that's why the Lord gave you one mouth and two ears. I don't know if that's the reason. It's a good saying for me. Influence. So communication from the Greek word in 1 Corinthians 15 and 33, this word evil communication comes from the Greek word homilia, meaning companionship. See, there, there's a there's a connotation given, and I believe it's 1 Corinthians 7, when he deals with our sexual conduct. And that when two people lie together, they are becoming one flesh. The one flesh doesn't happen because of the marriage vow. The one flesh happens in the consummation of the marriage. Adam and Eve became one flesh when they consummated that relationship. So the same connotation is given here in this word of conversation. And who you're engaging in conversation with, you're forming a companionship. If you talk to the devil, you're the devil's companion. Yet we're told in our being, turn around, tell the devil. <laughs> Don't tell the devil anything. Resist the devil. See, this is when we got to follow the scripture. Resist the devil and he shall flee. That's your relationship with the devil. Stand against the wiles of the devil. The fiery darts. Stand against them. Communication can be defined as the imparting or exchanging of information or news. It is a letter or message containing such information or news. It is the successful conveying or sharing of ideas and feelings. It is an act or an instance of transmitting it is a process by which information is exchanged between individuals through a common system of symbols, signs, or behavior. And one of the most profitable industries in the world today, we know it as the telecommunications industry. Mm -hmm. Hundreds of billions, if not trillions of dollars have been made in the telecommunications. In fact, there's a giant move in the past probably 15, 20 years or so, and still happening today, is the hostile takeover and buyout of many of these companies coming together and merging. 
Like even with the telephone, with, with the television networks, you only have a few big companies that own all of these networks. Mm -hmm. and, they, and over time, they're slowly merging and merging so that things are pretty much setting up so in the end time, we're going to have one big conglomerate who's going to be feeding and communicating all of the information. Mm -hmm. And the thing about communication is people believe that because a, a source should be trustworthy, that I should trust them. Mm -hmm. And this is where we have to be careful, and this is where Peter was talking about earlier, that this, our, our eternity depends on this. This is a heaven and hell thing. If we will not check out what we've been told and who we've been told. Paul says, I know whom I have believed. Then he says, know those that labor among you. You, you should have some knowledge of the people that are speaking and communicating and all of your companionship is built around the body of Christ. Just because they're in the same company in the same building does not mean that we should be companions. I heard somebody say that we can't wait for the fruit to fall off of the tree because we, we have that saying, you will know them by their fruit. But the one thing about false prophet their fruit is dead sheep. Mm. We can't wait until the sheep are dead to say something. Mm. Some trees, you know what kind of tree there are before the fruit comes. You can tell because you studied that tree. So with these telecommunications, let's just look over the last couple of centuries or so. In 1842, we had the first fax machine. 1842, where they were able to transmit an image. This is the ingenuity of man. In 1844, we have the telephone, where there was conversation over distance. And this is real, the real meaning of the word telecommunication. It's, it's information over distance because, see, now we, we, we've got to the point to where the world is now over 7 billion people. Here in Genesis 3, we have a few players. We've got God, Elohim, we've got Adam, we've got Eve, and we've got the serpent. We got, so there's no need for telecommunications here. We're all here. Right. But over time, then you had the messenger where they were able to take writings and, and, and travel by camel and horse and all these things and deliver the message. In 1867, we have the invention of Morse code where the tapping of signals was able to send a message. In 1895, we have the radio, where you do not have to be in the same room to listen to a show. So we have the early 1900s, where families gathered around. See, see we gather around now, we watch ABC and CBS and CNN. But back then, there was no TV, there was no visual. So they sat around and they listened to the radio shows. One of my favorites is when I got into uh, the early um, arts is War of the Worlds, where they got in, the, in a radio station and they had this enactment of a play that it was the end of the world and they had all these sound effects going. And, and what they didn't realize is that they were in this little nice room knowing that this was all just a play, not realizing that outside the world, people were about to leave town. They were packing up cars. They were panicking. They couldn't get out of town fast. Listening to the show, and then they were glued 
to the radio, what's going to happen next? This is the power of our speech. How it can suck you in and draw you in and capture you. And then in 1927, we have television. Well, we can now see the faces of the people on the other end. Through a little bitty tube. And in 1936, we have the computer. So we look at all these, the fax machine, the telephone, the Morse code, the radio, the television, and the computer. And we realize now, we, we, we've come to this day, and we realize that most of our information that we get now from a little thing that we call Google. <laughs> and then when we were growing up, we had, if our parents had enough money, we, we, we had a set of books, and there were about 20 or 30 of them, and, and they were called encyclopedias. And if you wanted to get information, you would pull one of these books down in alphabetical order, and, and you, would, you would open that book up to a certain page, and if some of us go to our parents' house, we still got that old set of Britannica encyclopedias on the shelf that haven't been open for 30 years because there's this little website called Wikipedia. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but the difference with Wikipedia now is that now we can do like Eve, and now if we don't agree with a certain mm -hmm. thing in the story, we could, we could log into Wikipedia and we could add our own take on it. Mm -hmm. So the next person that reads it now gets the fact that, oh, no, God didn't say you couldn't eat it. He also said that you couldn't touch it. Mm. So let's deal with this communication. Genesis 1, verse number 26. And this is the Message Bible. God spoke, let us make human beings in our image. Make them reflecting our nature so they can be responsible, responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, the earth itself, and every animal that moves on the face of the earth. Now I want you to realize as we're reading this, what power God gave to Adam. Verse 27, so God created human beings, he created them God-like, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female, and God blessed them. And here's my key. Prosper, reproduce, fill the earth, take charge. Be responsible for the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and every living thing that moves on the face of the earth. So here we have the charge of God to man. I've created earth for man, Isaiah tells us, that it was created for man. This is why we don't fear, like some of the, the people running around like chickens with their heads cut off now, the earth is going in, it's going, we, we're going to kill the earth, this, the earth is gone. The earth is not going to end, it, it, it's going to be in bad shape, but the Bible lets us know that he created the earth for man. That means it's going to be here until God says different. Mm -hmm. Now let's get an alternate view and remember what we, we read here in Genesis 1. Let's get Psalm 8. We're going to take a turn in our mindset. We've got to ask ourselves, where am I? God is demanding, where are you? Psalm 8, verse number 3. When I look up into the night skies and see the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars you have made, I cannot understand 
how you can bother with mere puny man to pay any attention to him. So I want to know what happened to the mind of man that took him from being a God to diminishing himself to a place that God shouldn't even consider him. What happened to our communication to where God gave us authority over everything that he created to us turning around and saying, Lord, I'm not even worthy for you to even consider me. We talked to somebody in the process. Yes. They changed our thinking. Number one, they changed our thinking about who God is. Mm -hmm. That's what Satan did to Eve. Mm -hmm. Would God treat you like that? No way Father would treat his child like that. No, Father don't withhold stuff from his child. And you may have just noticed that I said what happened to the mind of man that would change him from a God. Andre, you must be crazy. Let's get Psalm 82. There's two scriptures I'm going to read. The, script, the first scripture that I read in the Old Testament, then we're going to go to the New Testament. And Jesus is not only going to quote it, but he's going to confirm it by stating that God's word is true. Psalm 82 and 6 says, and this is God speaking to his chosen people. I have called you all gods and sons of the Most High. God tells his chosen, I have called you gods. Wow. Now, St. John 10, 10 and 34. And this is why we can't look at that mountain and say, be moved into the uttermost part of the sea. This is why we can't look at the lame man and say, get up and receive strength into your legs. Because we don't realize that we're gods. Yeah, we're children of God. But if we're going to say that we're children of God, then the seed only bears itself. It multiplies itself. If God multiplied himself, then that means that which he created is God's. Verse number 34 of St. John 10. Jesus said, I'm only quoting your inspired scriptures where God said, I tell you, you are gods. And if God called your ancestors gods and scripture does not lie, why do you yell, blasphemer, blasphemer? At the unique one, the Father consecrated and sent into the world just because I said, I am the Son of God. If I don't do the things my Father does, well and good. Don't believe me. In other words, I can only do what my Father said because I have this seed in me. <laughs> so when I speak to this tree and curse it and tell it it can bear no more fruit, it does it because I am my Father's child. It recognizes the authority that is in my blood. <laughs> Where are you? And he's not telling us that we're gods that other men should worship us. He's telling us that we're gods in our commission of authority in the earth. Acts 17 and 24 says, He made the world and everything in it. And since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples. And human hands cannot minister to his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and satisfies 
every need there is. He created all the people of the world from one man, Adam, and scattered the nations across the face of the earth. And then he decided beforehand which nation should rise and fall and when. He determined their boundaries. And verse number 27 is the key I want to pick up here. His purpose in all of this, in all of what? In all of creating everything and then setting boundaries on everything. His purpose in all of this is that they should seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and are. As one of your own poets says, we are the sons of God. Now we just read Jesus' quote that we are the children of God to mean that you are God's. Small g. So God's desire for man has always been that man would simply seek him. That's it. I created you, Adam, because out of everything that I created, I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy with the stars. I wasn't happy with the Pleiades. I wasn't happy with the galaxies. I was not happy with, with the earth. I needed somebody to reflect my own glory. Not only in earth, but in the universe. I don't have it. So what I'll do is, I'll just make a man. I'll make a man. And when I make him, I'm making him in my image. Lord, how can you make something in your image when you're invisible? Because the Bible tells us that Jesus was the lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Before the world was created, he had Jesus in his mind. And from the body that he envisioned that he would wrap himself in, he created Adam. He was made after the image of God. So back to our text. In verse number 8 of Genesis, that evening they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. And here's a little game that we like to call hide and go seek. All of us played that. I think the kids played it a couple of times today. In this little room. Even though there's not many places to hide. But there's, there's something amusing to a childlike mind that I'm going to count while I count you go high while I'm, and when you open I want you to find me so there, there's a story of, of a rabbi who as he was studying in his office he could hear the children outside playing hide and go seek and he, he would hear one child diminish into the background and started counting one, two, three and he'd hear the footsteps running outside and he would hear them going and they would find this one and they find that one and he could hear all this commotion through his window and then he realized after a while he kind of drowned it out but all of a sudden he started hearing one child start to cry so he walks outside and he, he asks his child why are you crying he said well because we were playing hide and seek and they gave up they stopped playing they found a few I guess they forgot about me so they stopped looking what, what, what would it be like if God did not come to Adam and say, where are you? I just quit. But we've quit on God. The Bible does tell us that God knows how to hide himself. 
One of my favorite scriptures, Proverbs says, it is the glory of God to conceal the matter, but it is the honor of kings to search a matter out. So when God hides that thing from, it, it, it should be something in you to say, oh, I got to go and find this. I need this. I, I miss this daily, you know, conversation with God. I've got to go find out what broke our companionship. And what other companionship have I formed that is not in the will of God that is replacing my companionship with my creator. So I can only imagine that God must be crying and said, they, they stopped searching for me. In fact, at one point he says, none seeketh righteousness. Nobody is looking to do good. Nobody's looking for holiness. Nobody. I said, nobody. None righteous. Notice that in our text, verse that it didn't say that they heard God's voice talking. This voice was walking. Before he opened up and said, Adam, where art thou? They could hear him. Some of us need to know that God is talking when he hasn't said anything. We walk by faith and not by sight. Makes you wonder, where am I? Where are you? They heard the voice of God walking. Number two, he says it was in the cool of the day. Now, some theologians will say that this was in the evening when the breeze came. But if we deal with the Hebrew word for cool, we deal with the word ruach. That is the biblical word for spirit. Spirit meaning influence. And we talked about influence. So in the influence of the day, the part where Adam needed his influence from God, Adam was nowhere to be found. They hid amongst the provisions of the very God that they were hiding from. Lord, I will take your provisions and I'll use it to hide myself. But you, I don't want to talk to the audacity of us to tell God I'll take the blessings I'll claim the blessings I'll testify about the blessings he said these people they draw near unto me with their, their mouths but their heart is far from me because of that I don't hear anything they're saying they've hid their heart from me and he only called Adam, but notice that they both were hiding. That's because when he created them, he called them Adam. Adam is the one that called Eve, Eve. Remember the power of speech, influence. So now Adam is changing the nature of his relationship with his wife, basically with himself, because remember the two are one. Yes. So now there's an inner conflict because if God walked through that door, say God were a human, and there were two of us standing here naked, and we both covered up, not only am I covering up from God, but now I'm also covering up from my wife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, now my relationships 
my horizontal relationships are messed up. Yeah. Because my vertical relationship now is in the hiding state. Yeah, you're right. I cannot interact with you in a godly manner if I can't act, interact with God in a godly manner. That's right. This is why the greatest two commandments are number one, love God. And then love others as you love yourself. If you don't love God, number two, you won't love yourself. And if you don't love yourself, there's no way you can love anybody else. Yes, yes, yes. Where are you? Where are you? So God called them Adam. And then Adam says, this is Eve. Because God took her out of me. So now Adam is now creating separations that probably should not have happened. Because he refused to call his wife by his own name. There was resentment in Eve that said, since you won't call me by your name, I'll just Hello. go and talk to this snake over here. Wow. Yes. Shut up. Yes. Wow. He says, so I, so I hid. This word hid comes from the Greek word kaba, meaning to secrete. It means to deposit or to conceal in a hiding place. It means to appropriate secretly. It's kind of like Achan when they won the battle of Jericho where God says I want you to bring all of, uh, of the things that you you possess from that battle bring it what's mine you bring it to me but Achan took the, the things and he had his own stuff but the Bible says he took God's stuff and hid it with his own stuff does this not sound like Adam where he says I'm going to hide behind the very thing that you gave me mm -hmm. he says I hid why? Because I was naked. But you were naked before you ate of the tree. Now that their eyes are open in a different light, now there's a vulnerability that Adam has that he can't even expose to the God that created him. I will not bring you my vulnerability. I will not show you myself at my weakest point. I'd rather hide behind your creation than to come to the creator and get it straight. Mm -hmm. And why did I hide? Because I was naked. Because I was naked, I was afraid. So now his vulnerability has introduced fear into the creation. Fear has not, has no place in the Bereshit beginning of things. This Genesis... This is the beginning, and already we're messing the beginning up. Mm -hmm. See, it's, it's hard to have a successful thing when you start out wrong. Then you start out wrong. You just start with problems. This is the first mention of fear. And from this point on, every time man encounters God, God has to now try to speak to man and say, fear not. Because the first thing that happened with man every time after this is that instead of being joyful and full of and, and full of joy when God came around, is they were deathly afraid. I have said in the king that Isaiah was on the throne, I saw also the Lord. He was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. He was glorious. And I said, Woe is me. Why are you afraid? 
of the God that is showing you grace by giving you his presence. Why are you afraid of that? So now every time God comes in, the first thing he has to say, don't be afraid. Even after his resurrection. Yes. Yes. Every time he came, they thought it was an evil spirit. He said, don't be afraid. It's me, the Lord. The Lord has been walking with you and talking with you and trying to commune with you and trying to give you back the power that Adam gave up. I'm trying to give you that power back. And you're still afraid. You still want to hide. You still don't want to believe. Thomas said, I won't even believe it unless I, I reach my finger into his side. Because you know what? I, I, I cannot walk by faith right now. All I have to walk by is sight. So unless I see him myself, and I only see him, but I got I to gotta touch him. God has been trying so hard to get rid of our fear. How long are we going to stay in fear. Fear has torment. Yes, it does. And if you're in fear, you have no knowledge of love. 1 John 4, chapter 18. He says, we need have no fear of someone who loves us perfectly. His perfect love for us eliminates, eliminates all dread of what he might do to us. Adam is wondering, oh Lord, what is this awesome creator going to do to me now? And when we sin today, our first thought is, oh my God, what is God going to do? He's going to strike me dead. He's going to make me sick. He's going he's gonna to give me an illness, a disease, some kind of curse. He's going to curse my bank account. <laughs> but it eliminates, perfect love eliminates all dread of what he might do to us. If we are afraid, it is for fear of what he might do to us and shows that we are not fully convinced that he really loved us. Wow. You're in fear? Okay. You're not convinced that God loves you. Yeah. If you're not convinced that God loves you, you are calling God a liar. Mm -hmm. And you have, you have taken out his number one main characteristic, which is God is love. Wow. You don't believe in God. People walking around in fear do not believe in God. Impossible to please him. Because you must first believe that he what? Exists. Fear says love does not exist. I'm going to read that in the King James Version. There is no fear in love. But perfect love, what, what, what is the problem with 2015 where we have a, a relationship that is abusive and the man that beats his wife constantly tells her, baby, I love you. I love you. Baby, I, I, I love you. And the wife turns around and says, oh, well, I can't leave him because, you know, he loves me. But I'm definitely afraid of him. I can't function throughout the day because I'm so afraid. Wow. I mean, that ain't love. Love does not operate in fear. Your companionship is ungodly. Get out of that companionship. Your conversation is in the wrong place. We, we got to stop talking to the devil. 
See, what we don't realize is that we talk to the devil through other people, through the people that the devil uses. Some of us need to shut up. Stop talking to the devil. Yeah. Realize you are the devil's child. <laughs> I have no conversation with yeah. you. So it is sin that separates. Romans 8 and 35 says, Who then can ever keep Christ's love from us? When we have trouble or calamity, when we are hunted down or destroyed, is it because he doesn't love us anymore? And if we are hungry or penniless or in danger or threatened with death, has God deserted us? See, some people think that just because I'm a Christian, I shouldn't suffer any of this stuff. But the Bible says that, oh, that I might know him in the power of his resurrection, but his, only, his resurrection only comes through the suffering. Mm -hmm. There's no need to get up if you never were killed. <laughs> we want to get up and live in the power of the resurrection. But the thing that gave Christ the resurrection was the death. Wow. Yes. And the suffering that he suffered is the thing that taught him his obedience. Yes. He learned his obedience through the things he said. He did not learn his obedience through a bunch of rules from man-made religion. He learned them through, through walking with God. Verse 36 says, No, for the scriptures tells us that for his sake, we must be ready to face death at every moment of the day. We are like sheep awaiting slaughter. Like Pina said today, are you willing to die for this? Are you willing for a few people to say you're crazy and lost your mind because you're chasing after God in a different way that I think you should chase after yeah. God? Yeah. But despite all this overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us enough to die for us. For I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't. And life can't. Life can't. When things are good, do you know that sometimes because things are going so well, people forget God? Things get to going well, they do like Adam. I don't even want to talk to you no more. I'm going to get all my information from Eve now. I'm just going to mess up the order of God. Because the Bible tells us that the head of every woman is the man, and the head of every man is Christ, and the head of Christ is God. What happened to the order? How come all of these other influences got interjected into the thing? I tell young folk that are getting married, your parents ain't got no business speaking into your marriage. For this call shall a man leave his mother and father and cleave. You work out a whole nother relationship now. Yeah, you can get advice, but they don't they don't run your, your marriage. I could go further, but I'm not. Because there's some other influences that we've interjected into people's lives. And I'm messing folk up. Because we won't allow them to talk to God. Life can't. The angels can't. And all of the powers of hell itself cannot keep God's love away. Our fears for today and our worries about tomorrow. Yes. Or where we are, high above the sky or in the deepest ocean, nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ when he died for us. So if nothing can separate you, then what, what are we hiding for? Why are we going to die? 
hidden yourself so well that your friends can't find you. Your spouse can't find you. Your children can't find you. They wonder, where is my mom? Where is my dad? They're supposed to be taking God authority over my life in this household. Where are you? Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Oh my gosh. Psalm 139 and 7. He says, Is there any place I can go to avoid your spirit? Some of us want to know, Lord, where can I go to escape you? Where can I get away from you? We don't want to know what we can do to get away from the devil. Right. But we we sure are trying to get away from God. Where can I go to be out of your sight? If I climb to the sky, you're there. If I go underground, you're there. If I flew on morning's wings to the far western horizon, you'd find me in a minute. You're already there waiting. Yes. That tells me that God was in the midst of the fig trees when they went and got those leaves off of that tree. They were still in his presence. Then I said to myself, oh, he even sees me in the dark. At night, I'm immersed in the light. Wow. At night, I'm immersed in the light. You think you're hiding from God? Oh, I can't at night, I am immersed in the light. It's a fact. Darkness isn't dark to you. Night and day, darkness and light, they're all the same to God. So Isaiah 59. The Bible got a lot to say to us today, doesn't it? So we get to that place that Pina talked about earlier today where we chide God. Well, if I'm going through this, that, that means that you can't be on my side. You're not there for me. I prayed this prayer, and I sealed it with that, that infamous, you know, quote, in the name of Jesus. I put your name on, on what I asked you to give, and you didn't give it to me. So he says in Isaiah 59, listen now, the Lord isn't too weak to save you, and he isn't getting deaf. That means that that repetitious prayer doesn't work with a God that you've ruined the relationship with. <laughs> so we have this thing now in relationship these days because of the invention of caller ID. See, the old telephone system <laughs> took your chances. See, but now we got caller ID where we can look at it. And some have been in relationships to where, you know what, they, they've taken the name off of the contact mm -hmm. and put never answer. That's right. <laughs> So when the phone rings, it says never answer. And that's what we've done with God. We, we, we've changed his caller ID in our spirits to say, oh, when you get that conviction, don't answer it. Wow. He's not deaf. He can hear you when you call. But the trouble is that your sins have cut you off from God. Because of sin, he has turned his face away from you and will not listen anymore. So what do I do with God now? I'm in this relationship. I've messed it up. I want to get back to him, but he's turned his face from me. He's closed his ears to me. So what, what do I need to do to get this thing back without venturing off into hopelessness? 
So why even question? If there's no escaping God's presence, if God knew where Adam was, then why did he even ask, Adam, where are you? Mm -hmm. We must pay close attention when God starts to ask questions. Mm -hmm. He isn't looking for knowledge. There's nothing that you could tell God that he didn't already know. Right. He's omniscient. He knows it all. So what God was probing was, it was for a confession. Because it is only by confession that provisions for reconciliation can be made. It takes confession. And then now, we've got to look at the two differences. There's a difference in hiding places for the wicked and the righteous. You can write these down. Proverbs 28 and 1. He says that the wicked flee when no one is chasing them. Adam hid and there was no threat. That's true. That made Adam wicked. The Son of God became wicked. Because he, he he took flight and there was no threat. But the godly are bold like lions. Did not we read Hebrews 4 earlier today, the last verse? Come boldly to the throne of God. The King James says the throne of grace. The wicked flee when there's no one chasing, but the, but the righteous, they're bold. They answer the phone. They don't duck when God calls. We'll get to it. Then Proverbs 18 and 10 tells us the other hiding. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. I believe it's Proverbs 20 that says, maybe Isaiah, where it says that a man shall be a covert from a storm. You mean I can hide in a man? See, the problem is most of us didn't hid in the wrong man. The man that Isaiah was talking about was Christ. And when he comes along, you can hide in him. So Paul says, my life is hid in Christ. So what he wants from us it's to hide in him and not from him. But when we sin, it is our human nature to hide and cover. This is proven deadly for the human soul. We have misunderstood and underestimated the reality and power of God's mercy and grace. We think that God becomes unapproachable if we sin. But the Bible says it is the sick that need the physician. The well don't need to go to the doctor. And you can go and get checked up, but you're not in dire straits. So when you're running in saying, look, doc, I need you to work something out because I'm as sick as a junkyard dog. Mm -hmm. The notion that God is only approachable by righteous people is an ideology clothed in self-righteousness. Mm -hmm. And this is why we come before one another and say, you know what? I haven't done this all week, and I haven't done that all week. Right, right. So I'm good with God. When the Bible tells us the per it is the person who is in seeing that approaches God that is in the better standing. There were two men that prayed. 
Well, let's start with the one that none of us would give attention to. Mm -hmm. He laid on the floor prostrate before God, put his head down, wouldn't even look up, but told God, I'm not even worthy. I'm a sinner, Lord. I'm not even worthy of your attention. But there's another man that was praying on the other side where he says, Lord, I'm righteous. I've done all that you said I can do. I'm glad I'm not like that publican over there. And the Bible says, which one of these two men do you think was heard by God? One got heard by God, and the other than the scripture we just read, God closed his ear to. The judgmental man that was pointing fingers at everybody. Oh, he's a sinner. He's dressed. God is not pleased with the way you're dressed. We can't, we can't both get in. Gotta choose. Psalm 61 says, Oh God, listen to me and hear my prayer. For wherever I am, though far away at the ends of the earth, I will cry to you for help. And when my heart is faint and overwhelmed, lead me to that mighty tower of rock of safety. For you are my refuge. I hide in you. I don't hide from you, but I'm choosing to hide in you. See the, see, the thing about hiding in Christ is that you will enter into a place where Jesus says, and that wicked one touches him not. The wicked one can't touch you because he can't see you. He sees Christ. So when he comes against Christ, it's almost looking, being in a room with a plate panel glass. That room is Christ. The enemy wants to get into that room. He wants to shatter that glass. But standing behind the glass, you see the enemy coming and you think he's coming for you. He's not coming for you. He, he's coming to get into the place that you're in. He wants his position back. You are God's. And he's after capital G. He's after God. So when he comes after God in us, because we're in Christ looking out, we think that he's coming after, but he's really coming for Christ. Mm -hmm. that makes sense. But because we're hidden in Him, He can't touch us because Christ has taken all of the blows for us. Right. He tasted death for every man. And if He conquered the, the biggest threat, what are we hiding for? Mm -hmm. Death can't separate you from Thank His you love. Jesus. So die in victory. Mm -hmm. If my chasing after God kills me, then I'm going to die chasing after God. Mm -hmm. See, some have decided the cost is too great. Yeah, I don't want to suffer that much for chasing after God. I don't want to take the ridicule. I don't want to take the, the, the onslaught of the enemy. I want the easy life. So we've got people that have now made pacts with the devil. Wow. We've gotten people who, who when, when he took Jesus to the pinnacle, Satan is still taking people to pinnacles and saying, I'll give you this if you just worship me. Yeah, and then we look at them and we envy them. David said, I, I almost lost my, my, my grip in God when I looked and saw that the wicked were prospering. Why are they prospering? Because the devil has taken them to a pinnacle, showed them and said, I will give you this and I'll leave you alone. 
So we think that they're healthy. We think that they're happy. We think, right, and we're right, looking saying, oh, right. I want to be like that. You are gods. That's so deep. That's so deep. You are my refuge, a high tower where my enemies can never reach me. I shall live forever in your tabernacle. Oh, to be safe beneath the shelter of your wings. For you have heard my vows, O oh God, to praise you every day. And you have given me the blessings you reserve for those who reverence your name. You will give me added years of life, as rich and full as those of many generations all act into one. Mm. And I shall live before the Lord forever. Oh, send your loving kindness and truth to guard and watch over me. And I will praise your name continually, fulfilling my vow of praising you each day. Mm. Now I want you to know that mercy and truth is the key to this passage of scripture. The whole refuge thing and the enemy coming after you, I want your mercy and your truth to watch over me. So as, as long as we're believing lies, you've taken yourself out of protection. When you distort the mercy of God, when you frustrate the grace of God, when you fall short of the grace of God, you're taking yourself out of the protection all you have is grace. That's it. We are saved by grace through faith. If you don't have faith, you can't have grace. If you don't have grace, you, 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 you have no connection to God. So mercy and truth are the keys here. And the daily praise that he offers is for the daily mercies. Remember, thy mercies and thy loving kindness are renewed every Monday. No. <laughs> Every first of the month and 15th of the month. Second Sunday. See, we look forward to those days. Yeah. I get paid on such and such a day. We, we anticipate that. But God is telling you every morning when you wake up, will you please look forward to my mercy and my yes, grace? Jesus. And did you use the, what I gave you yesterday? Because His grace is like electricity. Electricity can't be stored. Electricity, when it comes in, it goes out. There's no storehouse of electricity. Yeah. That's why they feel that they can jack up the price, lower the price, and jack up the price. And guess what? You got to pay it. Why? Because you need electricity. Mm -hmm. It takes a realization of God's mercy and truth for us to boldly approach God in repentance and take refuge in Him. If we stay in fear, we will continue to hide. So a commentary says, to cover and hide sin is sin. It is the adding of sin to sin. Wow. Sin is the disease of the soul. And there is no such way to increase and make a disease desperate as to conceal it. Silence feeds and cherishes the diseases of the body. And it is the same way with the disease of our soul. Just don't address it. You're going to have trouble after a while. You can't store electricity, but you can store up sin. Yeah, you can. You can store up sin for years. Hiding from God. 
And guess what? Unless confession and repentance of God, that sin doesn't go anywhere. Sin increases in two ways. Number one, it creates in the guilt of it. By hiding our sins, we become entangled in the many endeavors to keep it a secret and covered. So instead of dealing with the sin itself, you're more concerned about what lies am I going yeah. to tell? Who am I going to try to trick to, to, to prove that I'm righteous? Wow. wow. Thank you what facade this. must I put on this Sunday when I come to church? So I can prove to you that, oh, I got the victory. The longer a sin remains upon the conscience, unpardoned, the more the guilt of it increases. Now all the while, sin is hid. All the while, it is artificially and intentionally covered. Because you think you're covered, but that's artificial. We just read, there's no way you can go to hide from God. It remains unpardoned. As long as it's covered intentionally and artificially, it remains unpardoned. And therefore, the guilt of it must needs increase upon the soul. This is why so many are sick in their flesh. Paul said this is why many of the church have died early, before their time. It's because they come and they take the Lord's communion and they're in sin. They drink my blood and they eat my body, the body I gave them. They want to now hide behind it. Where are you? God sees that. Sin being thus covered increases in the filth and the contagion of it. The longer you stay in sin, it gets uglier and uglier. It increases in the strength and power of it. And it gains more upon the soul. And it grows more master and more masterly. Lust begins to rage. And it commands and carries all before it. Now folks are wondering, what's wrong with you? you change something. It's not right with you. While we are so foolish as to keep it closed and covered. There is a not hiding which proceeds from repentance. Where you say, Lord... I've sinned, and I, I, I want to get this thing out of the open. I acknowledge that I hate the thing that you told me not to I'm sorry. And, and I know that because I did it, and because I'm a God, that because I did it, everything around me now is going to change. The earth became polluted because Adam did not live in his responsibility. Don't think that when you sin, there's not going to be consequences. Then there is a not hiding, which proceeds from a few other things. Number one, impudence, which is a lack of respect. Well, you say, Lord, I'm sorry. You know, I'm not, you know, I really meant to do it. And I'll probably do it again next week. But I got to do this thing and say, I'm sorry. So I'm sorry. I don't respect who you are. And then there's the broken heart. That's self-pity. Well, because I perceive consequences from my actions, I really feel sorry for myself. That, that's, that's the psychopath. Where I'm not really sorry. I'm just sorry that, 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 that I, I have to pay for this. I got caught, so I'm sorry. And then there's the brazen face, they says. And this is a blatant rudeness and disrespect. And then there's what the Bible says, 
a brow of brass. That means what the old folks say is hard headed. Mm -hmm. That will stop you from truly repenting. Mm -hmm. That's the book, you know, I'll say the big deal, you know. So godly, conf godly confession of sin, which is opposed to the covering and hiding of sin, has three components. Number one, there is a confession of the fact or the thing done. You got to confess that. Number two, there is a confession of a fault. That is that in doing so, we have done amiss or done sinfully and foolishly. And then number three, there is a submission to the punishment. Confession is a judging of ourselves worthy of death. True confession is a submitting to the sentence of the judge. And a justifying of God in all. Even in his sharpest and severest dispensations. That means the Lord... See, we got it mixed up now because we have this thing in our court system that we call the great justice system of the United States of the Americas where we say that, well, if you snitch on him, we'll lessen your sin. That's what we do. So yeah. people only come forward and confess mm -hmm. so their punishment can be less. How many people go before the judge and say, Lord, I'm turn uh, judge, I'm turning myself in. I know there's a, a warrant for my arrest. I want to do the time that you, the court feels I should do. I only know one or two people that have done that in life. Mm -hmm. Why? Because by running, they kept looking over their shoulder. There was always fear. Yeah. And they realized that I can't live in fear and claim to be in the midst of the love of God at the same time. So we might say, what is the use of confessing when God is already acquainted with and knows our sins with all the circumstances and aggravations of it? We do not confess to inform God mm -hmm. of what he knows yeah. not. Mm -mm. But we give glory to God in that which he does know. Lord, because you're all seeing, and I realize that, because you're all knowing, and I realize that, I'm just going to come clean and because I want to be, when you look at me, I don't want you to have to cover your eyes or try to find some other way to cover me up. We are also called to an acknowledgement and confession of our sins to God that we ourselves may be more deeply affected with them. We've got to mourn our sin. I think Vina dealt with that in a lesson a while ago with the uh, Beatitudes, I think, one of them was. One of them was that you got, you've got to to feel sorry for your sin. you got to mourn that thing. Realize the, the power that it had over your life and how it broke God's heart. Mm -hmm. To see you tangled up in something that he can't even touch. The knowledge that God has of sin in and by himself may be a terror to sinners. So for, for the sinner, God's omniscience becomes a terror because they can't get away from the fact that, oh God, that I'm a sinner. But his knowing of our sins by us, when we come and confess to him, now his knowing, his knowledge, his, his omniscient becomes a comfort for us. To what we say, Lord, you know the way that I take you. 
You're acquainted with all of David said, ain't no sense in me running no more. You know what, Lord? Against thee and thee only have I sinned. My transgressions are now ever before. I'm just putting it out there. He was running. David thought he had got away. God clean free. I had slept with this man's wife. Got pregnant. When she was pregnant. I couldn't manipulate the situation to make it look like it was going to be a husband's baby, so I killed the husband. Thought I got away with that. But then the, the gestation period of the pregnancy came to a head, and the child died. So, oh, maybe I didn't get away with this thing. Or maybe I did. Then people won't realize later when the child turns 10, oh, he don't look like. Mm -hmm. He looks like the king. Yeah. You're about your That's right. the king's key. <laughs> <laughs> Not the way we see it. Right, right. <laughs> so lastly, we serve a God who looks forward to having communion with his purchased possession on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. How are we answering when he calls? Are we ignoring the call? Are we frozen in fear of what God is going to do with us or do to us? Are we more concerned about what man may think once our sins are found out? Mm -hmm. how, how could you not care what God thinks, but you care what the bishop thinks? Yes. How could you care what God thinks, but, I mean, how could you not care what God thinks, but care what your mother thinks? Or what your children might think. Mm -hmm. See, and then this is another part of it, is that our relationships, we need to see that when we mess up amongst each other, that there is a repentance with God and with each other. Will we come clean when he approaches us? Will we be obedient to the Lord's prayer when he says, Lord, forgive us this day, our trespasses? As we forgive those that trespass it. Will we even seek forgiveness from God? Or will we just give up and say, Lord, you know what? I didn't done so much. Listen, I didn't went too far and stayed too long. It, it ain't even worth coming. Because some of us probably got a, a, a few weeks or a few months of repenting to do. Will we justify our sin? Well, Lord, I'm only, I, I, I only got violent with this person because, you know, they hurt my feelings. Mm -hmm. So I just slapped them. <laughs> do we justify? Do we give it a reason? Instead of saying, you know what, Lord? I know that my, my temper was out of, uh, out of whack that day. I know that things got out of hand. But, but they started. God is requiring... You're part of it. You can't, I can't repent for the elder. I got to repent for me. He can't repent for me. He got to repent for himself. If there's something between us, we got to do both of our parts of repenting. And most of the time, it usually is two things going on. Most of the time, it ain't all one person wrong. And because yeah. we're, we're, we're people that are, you know, we're responsive. We have reflexes. We say things because you cut us, I'm going to cut you back. Mm -hmm. When God is saying, you know what, that's no excuse. What you need to do is I want to know right now, where are you 
I'm not asking Adam where Eve is. I'm not asking Eve where Adam is. I'm not asking neither one of them where the serpent is. Mm -hmm. My question right now is, Adam, where are you? So there's a process to our reconciliation. We want to be reconciled, right? We want to get this thing right. Number one, there must be penitent confession. That means you got to repent. Mm -hmm. Fully embracing the punishment of your wrong. Number two, it was a big one. God will forgive you, but he's got to strip you of your fig leaves. Mm -hmm. The thing that you've been hiding behind, because it won't suffice for sin, he can see through that thing. He's got to take that from you. And, and he's not going to forcibly take it. You've got to undo the fig leaf. you got to take it off. What are you hiding in? Are you hiding in your self-righteousness? Lord, I, I always do what's right. You're not Jesus. Jesus could say, I do all ways of things to please my Father. You can't say that. We don't always do the things to please our Father. That's why we have grace and mercy. And if you say that you don't need grace and mercy, then I don't know where you are. Whatever you're hiding in, that thing that has become your, your hiding spot, you feel safe there. You feel covered. You feel that if something came to get you, nothing could get to you. But guess what? That, that, that little fig leaf is so thin. All God got to do is send a, a little wind. <laughs> When what he is offering you is good enough to cover you even through death. And finally, number three, God will then clothe you in his own provision. And then again, you've got to receive that. Not only must you give up your fig leave, but now you've got to willfully take the provision that God has given you. The one thing that his all-seeing eye cannot penetrate and that is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So I finally ask again, where are you? God is demanding of us tonight, where are you? And he's going to give you a process and an opportunity to, to just confess to him. Lord, I've been involved in ABCD. I said this, I did that. I've been here, I've gone there. I'm addicted to ABC. You you got to mm -hmm. confess it. The Bible never tells us that sin is going to be pardoned just because he knows it. Mm -hmm. Sin is only pardoned when we confess it. 